We are going to be in this series called Transform, but I want to have some fun this morning. If you guys can just kind of loosen up just a little bit. Have you guys ever seen those, like read those what, would you rather questions on the internet? Like, would you rather? I'm going to give you some. I just want to locate where we are. So uh, just, just have some fun with this. Would you rather have wet socks for the rest of your life or wash your hair only once a year? I know which one I'm picking. <laughs> all right, let's see all the wet socks people. Wet socks, all right. Wash your hair only once a year. Let's see all those people. Yeah, all the people like me. Yeah, I love you guys. That's awesome. Got a brotherhood going on here. Uh, all right, let me give you another one. Would you rather whisper, only be able to whisper everything or only be able to shout everything? All right, whisper people. Let's see the whisper people. Wow, this is, that was last night too. All right, only shout everything. Like shout. You guys probably already do it. You guys are already there. <laughs> all right. All right. This, yes, that's awesome. All right, then you're going to love this one. Would you rather run your tongue down a New York sidewalk? <laughs> it's not getting better. Or press your tongue into a stranger's nostril? <laughs> New York sidewalk, people, where are you at? Stranger nostril people. I know you never thought this would happen in church, but here you are. You never thought you'd have to answer that question. All right, this one's interesting. Would you rather be able to see behind every door or be able to guess the combination to every safe on the first try? All right, see behind every door? See behind every door? All right, combination to every safe. What kind of people are you? What are you going to do with that information? I was wondering that. What are you going to do? All right. Whatever. You can take that up with the Lord later on. All right. Would you rather be able to see five minutes into the future or a hundred years into the future? Let's think about it for a little bit. Five minutes. Anybody? A hundred years. Let's see. A hundred years. Okay. All right. One more. I got one more. Would you rather have hiccups for the rest of your life or feel like you have to sneeze but can't for the rest of your life? <laughs> All right, let's see all the hiccup people. All right, and all of the feel like you have to sneeze but can't people. All right. All right, I set you up for this question because I have a would you rather question for you. So I just kind of get, get you loosened up for it. And I think I know what you're going to raise your hand for. But would you rather live a life of faith or live a life of fear? Let's see all the faith people. All right. Do we have any fear people? I'm not even going to ask because... And, and because I think I know what our hands are going to raise for on that one. But my question really is this. Do our intentions then match our reality? Because a lot of us have this intention to live a life of faith. Like if we had the would you rather, we would rather live a life of faith than live a life of fear. But do our intentions match our reality? So I want to, today I want to tell you a story, a tale of two altars. And we have to go all the way to 1 Kings chapter uh, 18 to do that. And I'll just tell you the story. So you don't have to go there and we'll look at one scripture, but first Kings chapter 18, there's a, you know, Ahab is the king and Jezebel. Some of you guys are familiar with this story. They've went off the rails and they're serving false gods. And so Elijah is a prophet who God told him to prophesy that there'd be no rain and there was no rain for, for years. 
Nobody liked him because of that, because there was a famine in the land. And so eventually, long story short, God is using Elijah to come and to take out all of these 450 prophets of Baal, but he's going to do it in a unique way. He calls a contest on top of Mount Carmel, and he invites everyone to show up. And he says, what we're going to do is we're going to build two altars. You guys can build one altar, and then I'll build an altar. And the God that answers by fire is the true God. And so you guys build your altar and then pray to your God that he lights it on fire without you doing anything. And then I'll pray to my God that he lights it on fire without me doing anything. And so they all get up there like, okay, let's go. And so they build their altar. They put the wood on it. They start dancing around. They start praying. Nothing happens. You know, hour goes by. Nothing happens. Two hours go by. Nothing happens. They get to about lunchtime. And Elijah's over here just making fun of him. Like, you can read this in your Bible. He's like saying, like, what's the problem? Where's your God at? Did he have to go relieve himself? It's in the scriptures. He's like, is he taking a nap? What's the problem? And so they cried out all the more. They start, they start cutting themselves. And, there's, and the Bible says blood is just gushing everywhere. Because they're just serving. Yeah, I know, it's scary. And they're just serving their God out of fear and out of fright. And they are, nothing's happening. Finally, hours and hours go by, and Elijah's like, all right, my turn. And so he goes, and he, puts, he gets 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel. He puts the wood on top of the altar, and then he digs a trench around the altar. And then he calls for four jars of water, and he says, pour all the water on top of the altar, on top of the wood. So now we've got wet wood there sitting there. And he's like, do it again. And they fill it up. They pour it again. He's like, do it again. They'd fill him up. He pours again until there's so much water that it even fills the trench that he dug around it. And then he prays. And then God answers by fire. <sighs> Can you imagine that moment? And then he takes out all the 450 prophets of Baal. He starts off the day with this scripture. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20 and 21 says, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. And I just want to challenge us today. We say that we want to live a life of faith. But how long will we go limping between two different ways? How long will we go between two different opinions? How long will we go serving at the altar of fear instead of at the altar of faith? Because it's one thing to have an intention, and it's another thing to wake up and to realize where you actually are. See, an altar is this. An altar is a place of sacrifice. And here's what most people don't understand. Faith, both faith and fear require sacrifice and obediences. You see, if you live the life of faith, it is going to require a sacrifice to live a life of faith. If you live a life of faith, the Bible says that faith without works is dead, so faith invites obedience. But fear, if you want to live a life of fear, guess what? You are going to have to sacrifice something in order to live a life of fear. And you're going to have to obey some things that fear wants you to obey to live a life of fear. See, most people don't even realize this, but if you are bowing at the altar of fear, you have made sacrifices and you are obeying what fear wants you to obey. And, and so I, I plead with you today, how long will we limp between two different opinions? 
How long will we say that we want to live a life of faith, but practicality, we're living our life out of fear, and both faith and fear require sacrifice and obediences. And so many of us are just filled with fear. We're living with fear. A few years ago, I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw this ad, this, this doomsday diet ad. And it was basically, they were advertising this, uh, this you know, 25-year shelf life, three-month supply of food. And have you guys have something like that? You don't have to raise your hand. I, I, I've, got, I've got, I'm stored up, let me just say. But I was, the, the hilarious thing about this was the comments. Like, I can't even say all the comments in here, but I started scrolling through the comments just for fun. And just one of them, this seems innocent on the surface, but it's like, this is one guy's comment. He says, ordered mine, I'm ready for disaster to come. <laughs> Listen, it's one thing to be prepared. It's another thing to be giddy about disaster coming, right? And I think sometimes we end up getting in that mindset where we're so prepared for what's going to happen that we're disappointed if something bad doesn't happen. Come on, somebody. This is what happens when we live a life of fear, when we're bowing at the altar of fear. We're so ready for something bad to happen that we're almost disappointed if it doesn't. See, both faith and fear require sacrifices and obediences. And too many of us have bought into this mindset of fear, fear towards the world. Fear towards the future. Fear towards people who don't look like us. Fear towards change. Fear towards whatever might happen. And fear is a powerful motivator. See, fear requires something from us. And here's what I want you to understand. That what you fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. See, some of us keep hitting a wall. We keep hitting a wall in life. Guess what? What you fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. Erwin McManus says it this way. He says, if you're afraid of heights, you stay low, right? It establishes the boundaries of your freedom. If you're afraid of people, you stay alone because fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. If you're afraid of the outdoors, you stay inside. Like you can apply this to every area of your life. Think about right now where your restrictions are and I can locate your fears. Because what you fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. So how long are we going to limp between two different opinions? We say we want to live a life of faith, but in practicality, we're living a life of fear and we're living a limited life. When you live life at the altar of faith, it's not that there is an absence of fears. It's simply that the fear of God outweighs every other fear. So we go to Acts chapter 19. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. But we're going to revisit it because there's something here that I want to mine out of this in Acts 19, 13. First of all, let me set the stage for those of you guys who are new with us. Paul comes to Ephesus. He's there for a couple years. The word of God starts to spread everywhere throughout Asia because it's kind of a central hub. And these strange miracles were happening through the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs that touched Paul were taken to people and they touched what he touched and they got healed. And so people were seeing these amazing miracles, Right? And then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. What are they saying? They're saying, well, we saw Paul do this, so let's try it. But they didn't really have the goods. They didn't know who they were, or they, they thought they knew who they were, but they weren't. And it says seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And then the man in whom the, was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Bad day. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And then watch this. And fear 
fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. What happened in this moment? Satan overplayed his hand. He tries to do a big show of strength, and he definitely overpowered those seven sons of Sceva. But guess what? He overplayed his hand, and Jesus wins, right? Satan overplays his hand. And this is what Satan likes to do. He likes to overplay his hand. And Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 13 that talks that, that there's something, there's a warning for us. And since it's a parable, I'm going to take you to a modern parable, which I've done a thousand times, but I'll take you to the parable like Jesus used in my garden. So let's take a look at this parable. This is my garden. Well, it's not looking too good right now. It's full of weeds and all sorts of stuff. And so before I put some good seed in here, I'm going to have to till this up or get rid of these weeds somehow. And Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 13 that's similar to that. He talks about a guy who went to go sow some seeds in his garden. And so he put all these good seeds in his garden. And then overnight, while he wasn't watching, an enemy came in and sowed a bunch of weeds and seeds for weeds in the midst of it. And of course he didn't know because seeds take a long time to grow. And so it went undetected until harvest time. And so this is what we have to be careful of. There's a warning in here because in the book of Acts, in Acts 19, when Satan comes in and, you know, the d demon in that guy overpowers all of those seven sons of Sceva, Satan overplayed his hand. And we know that he overplayed his hand because of what happens next. In Acts chapter 19, verse 18, it says, so after all of this, also many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. So they were getting free and they counted the value of them. And it found, it came to found that it was 50,000 pieces of silver. Some people say this is like about $10 million. And so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And so they were free. I mean, they had this huge, amazing victory and they were set free because Satan overplayed his hand. What he thought, what, you know, many people thought, oh, Satan's overpowering. The next thing that happens is that God wins and Satan always overplays his hand. Right now, Satan's overplaying his hand in our culture. Satan may be overplaying his hand in your life. And those of us who are wise, we understand that. We're not discouraged anytime we see an onslaught of Satan because we know that Jesus always wins. And so I believe that Satan intentionally overplays his hand because he wants to distract us from what he's actually doing. And what he's actually doing is while we're so distracted with him overplaying his hand is he's subtly, sneakily planting seeds of fear in our life along the way. And we know that that's what he did in the church of Ephesus because later on what happens, they were eventually seduced back not to the altar of faith, but to the altar of fear. And they were, they strayed away from God's plan for their life. All right, so we know that Satan plants seeds in the distraction. Can you just recognize in your life, time, just look back for just a moment and just think about times when you thought the enemy was doing one thing, but it wasn't until later you found out he was doing something else. How many times do we get distracted by the overplayed hand of Satan and he's sneaking in seeds? along the way. Come on, let's wake up and let's be wise to his tactics, the Bible says. But here's what, see, we know that even though, okay, so in this moment, Satan overplays his hand, 
Jesus wins, but we know that when he overplayed his hand, he planted seeds. How do we know that? We go all the way to the end of the book in Revelation. Remember, John, the Apostle John is, is exiled to the island of Patmos because they tried to boil him. He wouldn't die, so they exiled him to the island. And while he's on the island, he writes the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, he's instructed to write seven letters to seven churches. And the first church that he's to write to is this church that was founded by Paul here in Ephesus. And so some time has passed, and John writes this letter. And it says this, to the angel, or that's to the pastor in the church of Ephesus, write this. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil." and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. He's like, yeah, I saw how that whole thing played out, and I saw how over the next few years you kept out false teachers. Good job, good job. He says, I know you've been enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this thing against you. You've abandoned the love that you had at the first. Somehow in all of the commotion, there were some seeds planted that caused them to take a step back. Somehow in all of this, they had a lot of good things going for them. They had a lot of great things going for them. They had a lot of right doctrine. They stayed faithful. They knew the scriptures. I mean, you look at the, the book of Ephesians, and man, it's rich, right? So they had big Bibles, a lot bigger than this one. They had big Bibles, but they didn't have big love. They had a lot of theology, but they didn't know God as much as they had once known God. How many times, you see, here, here's the thing. Maturity is measured not by how much you know, but by how much you do of what you know. A lot of us know a lot of stuff. We know a lot of the stories. We know a lot of scriptures, but maturity is not measured by how much you know, but how much you do of what you know. And somewhere along the way, they stopped doing what they knew. They stopped living love. They stopped living. They'd lost their first love. They stopped bowing at the altar of faith, and somewhere they started to cower to the altar of circumstances and possibly fear. And he says, and so John just instructs him, he says, get back to your first love. Get back. When, you, when I think about my first love, and I'm, I talk about loving God at the first I'm reminded of different times uh, that just kind of stand out. One time I, we were on a... a a missionary trip, and I just remember this morning, I was a teenager, I went out early in the morning, we were getting ready to go out and to minister, but I, was, I got up early in the hotel that morning, and I just remember the palm trees and the air, and it was just kind of tropical feeling, but I got out there, and I opened up my Bible, and I, it was like just the words of God just leaping up off the page. You remember those moments, right? When the Word of God just seems to just come alive, and that memory is just marked in my soul and in my mind and in my spirit. When I think of my first love or God in that moment, I think of things like youth camp. When I went to youth camp as a teenager and I, I had my Bible and I, I've got several Bibles that I've worn out, but one, one of them in the back of my Bible, I, wrote, I had this altar moment with God and I wrote in the back of my Bible, it says, don't limit God. And every time I open up that page, I'm reminded I'm taken right back to that moment. Do you have moments like that? Come on, some of you guys have been following Jesus for a long time. Can we go back to that point? Can we go back to that moment? You know how a song or a smell will take you back to a place? Can we go back to a moment with God? 
Go back to a moment when things were pure, when things were innocent with God, when things were just, when the, the words of God leapt off the page. And I know the temptation is, yeah, but I've had all of these experiences, and yeah, I know better now, and yeah, I've had this and that and the other. No, let's, let's go back there. John says, go back. Go back to your first love. Go back to that moment when things were real. I think about when I was 15 years old, I came to an, an altar moment in the presence of God, and somebody laid their hands on me, and under the power of God, I just fell straight down to the, to the ground. Like, I, I had no power over it. I just fell down and just had an encounter with God. Do you have moments like that? John says, go back. Go back to that moment that you had an encounter with God. Listen, I don't want to replicate those experiences, but what I do want to do is I want to replicate the environment in my heart in which made those experiences possible. Have you lost the environment and the attitude of your heart that invites a moment like that? And John is saying, not to replicate what was, but to replicate in your heart the environment and the culture that allowed those things to happen. Take down the walls of your heart and allow those moments. Create an environment again. Because I, I want you to understand, if you're up against a wall right now, you are one encounter away from everything changing. You're one encounter away from a changed life. Because it only takes one moment in the presence of God that can change anything and everything. Can somebody say amen to that? Because at one time, many of you had that moment. I had a moment. I have had several moments like that where it was one moment in the, counter of God, in the presence of God, an encounter with God changed everything. I don't want to replicate those moments. I don't want to go back to those same spots and try to create it. But what I, what I want to have happen is, is to put myself in a position for encounter again. You know, let, let me just do a little commercial, even though this isn't a commercial. This is like straight from my heart. We have our youth camp coming up with our, our kids coming up. Yeah, got, a, got an amen through a whoo back there. That's great. Listen, I was a youth pastor for five years. I was in youth ministry for over 10. I've been a pastor for a couple decades now, however long it is. I don't even know. I've been a parent for 20, almost 25 years. I've been in youth camps. I, I, I never missed a youth camp as a, as a teenager or a youth leader. And I am telling you, there were encounter after encounter after encounter. And if you've ever had in a moment, and I know some of us are like, yeah, there's the youth camp high. How many of you guys had the youth camp high? Like you had this encounter with God, two weeks later, everything's back to normal, right? You go, Phew. But I'm telling you, seeds were planted in those moments, in those encounters with God. Why? Because, not because we replicated or hyped something, but we put ourselves in a place of encounter for days. And eventually something happened. Listen, parents, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. You only have five or six summers with your teenager. Why wouldn't you put them in a place of encounter? I do not understand that. I'm, I'm, I, I understand there's all these factors, but I don't understand. I don't understand why you wouldn't rearrange everything in your life to allow, you got, you got five or six opportunities. And listen, there... The, some of us are like, yeah, but I can go back. You know, it didn't turn out the way that I thought it was going to turn out. Or what? Listen, just like whenever there's an overwhelming onslaught of Satan, he sows seeds. When there's an overwhelming encounter with God, he sows seeds. Both of them, listen, both of them you don't see for a while. Do not discount the value and the power of a seed. Don't you dare insult God 
by saying that there's no power in his seeds that he plants. Because he planted seeds in you a long time ago that have not reaped a harvest yet. And the only one who allows them to die is you. And I, I'm just saying, we have to go back to these moments in our mind. We have to go back and to live them again and then put our heart in a position to experience something new. And so many of you guys know that I, uh, five years ago, I went on a sabbatical, and I've told you the story earlier this year, even again, about how I had this encounter with God on this place called Buffalo Jump in Montana. And that was in 2018. I'm getting ready to go on a sabbatical here in about a week, a little over a week. So I'll be here next weekend, and then I won't see you guys for six weeks, and you won't text me because I won't answer. Maybe it's just how it's going to go. But you're in good hands. But um, I wasn't, I wasn't looking, I wasn't trying to make something happen as much as I was trying to put myself in an encounter. I kept, I kept getting up to the edge of trying to, like, I want to, I want to, but then I was just finally like, God, you're going to have to just do something, right? I'm going to put myself in a place of encounter. I'm going to go back and remember. And so a couple years ago, so I was by myself in 2018, but in 2021, I took Becca back to Buffalo Jump because I wanted her to see this place. And Revelation chapter two, verse five John says this, he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at the first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What is he saying? He's saying, go back. Again, don't replicate, but do the things that created the environment. Remind yourself. And so Becca and I went back and I was trying to, and for those of you guys who don't know, let me just give it to you in a nutshell. I had an encounter with God that I don't really even know how to describe. I went up on this place and I, and I was praying and all of a sudden I saw this vision. I was overtaken by this strong vision. And then from my perspective, I just ended up in a different place. And so I went back to try to figure out like, where was I at? Where, what happened? You know, like what happened? And so I thought it'd be fun if I took you, because we, we recorded me going back there and trying to figure out all that happened. It's about six minutes long, so it's a little bit longer, but I thought it'd be fun for you to see that. And then also what I want you to do as you're watching this is allow God to take you back to places that you've been, that you've had encounters with God and allow him to stir up something fresh and new. So here it is, return to Buffalo Jump. Let's go. Okay, this is the top of Buffalo Jump. It's kind of weird to be here again, but uh, this is where I believe this is a spot just by looking at all the different spots that this is the spot where I just laid down and prayed and felt like I was trying to make something happen. And there were storm clouds off in the distance. And I knew I needed to get going. And so I prayed here for a little bit. And then I started to walk right up over this hill, right up here, to get my way back down, which we'll see here in a little bit what that looked like and where I stopped and then where I ended up. So we're going to walk to both places here just a little bit. So what's it like for you being up here? really weird. It's much higher than I thought it was. 
uh, much more impressive than I thought it was. Like it's a really big place. And it's just really special to be here knowing that this is where you had a, like a crazy encounter. So somewhere right in between those bushes and right where I'm standing, I think it's actually right exactly where I'm standing because I can remember this. But I was <clears throat> just walking and then kind of taken over, I guess, where saw this vision and stuff. And then when I woke up, I thought I was here, but I wasn't here. Because I kept walking from just over there in my mind, thinking that I was going to find this trail right here to come up to go back down but I was walking and I wasn't here anymore so this trail wasn't here so I just was really confused at that point and just kept well I wasn't here so I was somewhere else I got to go figure out where I landed okay so we're still walking from that hill over there and I'm kind of getting chills like looking at this because as I look down I can see where the paths come together and I see that little ancient path that I found myself on and I've only lived this once so I in my mind I was I knew how it played out in my mind but I kind of had a vision on the other side of that hill and then the next thing after I came out of it I ended up like 100 yards from wherever this one starts this is pretty crazy way over there you can see the path that hilltop over there i was on the other side of that hilltop way over there <clears throat> you can kind of see on the side of this but this bush over here and we just walked i don't know how long is it half mile like i said it's a half mile at least <laughs> and i couldn't find the big wide path that was there and because i was about ready to come over it and all i kept all i found was this little path which didn't look like the same path. And I was really confused because the path we came up was pretty wide. <clears throat> and this one just looked like a little path that, as I said, somebody who was probably lost like me had used once before, or maybe an ancient Indian used before. But the rain clouds were coming, if you can pan over here, they were coming in fast. Now you can see, let me take it for just a second. You can see way over there, that ridge, I, that's where I was at, on that ridge over just on the other side of that because that's where buffalo jump is and i ended up like over here just instantly and so i just decided to take this path right here which is the one we've been following this little ancient path but this is even more worn out since i since i was here in 2018 because it was just like almost like grass laid over when i came on it it, it barely cuts through all of this which is really fun in rattlesnake country and then as i was coming down this when i got towards the end of this i wrote some of those lines from the song i want to take a leap chasing you god that was off of buffalo jump just that idea of just the leap of faith and then that line the kingdom of god explode inside of me came basically from whatever happened up there and that's i wrote that as i was walking back down this path so you can see there's the there's the path that we went up 
originally and I'm just now joining it after walking for a long time on this other path and it's just crazy that everything is exactly how I remember it to be and how this path which is a little more worn than last time I was on it looks like some other people have been using it maybe some horses something well now I know there's some horses that have been using it but it joins up with this other path here now I, I realize how crazy that sounds you know how vulnerable it makes me to share a story like that because I know what people think but here's what I'm here's what I want to point out does what I just the story you just heard does it resemble what happens in here because what happened to me seems to resemble more what happened in here than what it does the average Christian life and I don't say that for any reason except to say I want to share these things with you when they happen because I don't understand it. And I want to invite you back into the mystery of God a little bit. That we're not just following some logical teachings of a good rabbi, but we are a part, that we're following a God whose presence is much deeper than we understand. That we're following after a love that is it's more powerful than we can comprehend. That I, I want to invite you back into the tension and the mystery of what it is to follow Jesus. Because some of us have, have cleaned up following Jesus so neatly and so tightly that he doesn't even, he's not even there anymore. We've Thomas Jeffersoned our Bible, if you, some of you guys know what I mean, and cut out all of the parts that don't make sense to us. And we've left only logical places left that our brain can understand instead of being invited into this beautiful mystery of God. And what I want to do is I want to invite you past your practical, your practicalities. I want to invite you back into the mystery that is following Jesus. Go back to your first love. And some of you maybe never had an encounter with God Maybe you've never heard the voice of God. What I'm trying to tell you is that you can live a life that follows God, that you can encounter God, and it's in those encounters with God that can change everything. It's not about some neat little book study that you do and fill in the three options. Those are only tools to get you to the Savior. Those are only means. They're not the end. And so what I want to do is invite you back into it. And so I went back to remind myself because some of that was fantastic. I, I couldn't hardly believe it. So I went back to just go see with my own eyes. I want to invite you back into the mystery of following Jesus. That's what John is saying. He's saying, go back to when things were beautiful. Go back to when things were hard to understand in a wonderful way. Go back to those times when, when you are just fascinated by God. Go back to those times when you, ha you have lost your words. You see, 
The problem for the church in Ephesus is it had been 40 years since the church was founded until John wrote that letter. So a lot of those people were second-generation Christians. They had heard the stories but had not lived them. Listen, some of us have been following Jesus so long that we're almost second-generation Christians. It's like we've heard our own stories, but it's like we're not even living them. Come on, come back to what it's like to live in the awe and the wonder and the mystery of what it is to follow Jesus. Can we open ourselves up again? Not to recreate, but put ourselves in an environment. Listen, 1 John, if you've been bound at the altar of fear, here, here's your answer right here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. It says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. You know, Chris talked about that in the words she gave. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. And here it is. There is no fear in love. For fear has to do with punishment, but perfect love casts out all fear, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Listen, if you want to Go from the altar of fear to the altar of faith. The altar of fear crumbles when the love of God is embraced by faith. What John is saying is get back to your first love. Get back to the simplicity of just loving Jesus. Get back to the simplicity. Clear your schedule. Clear your clutter in your heart. Clear your space. Shut down some of the inputs. I've had to say this to a lot of people lately. We have so many inputs coming into our life, we don't have time to process them all. Shut off the inputs. Just get back to the simplicity of hearing God's voice. The worship team can come back as we close. Let me just share a story with you. It's a story I heard not too long ago about a guy named Thomas Aquinas. He was a philosopher, theologian in the 13th century, and he did a lot of wisdom writings, and he was one of the greatest in the Middle Ages. And he was sitting at a chapel one day and looking at the cross, and there was a witness for this. He was sitting in the back. The, somebody was, was sitting in the back and he watched this whole thing happen. But he's sitting there staring at the cross and an audible voice came and said, Thomas, you have written about me well. What do you want as your reward? And the witness, the guy who's sitting in the back is like, I wonder what he's going to ask for. I mean, Solomon asked for wisdom. He'd probably do that, you know, or that was, maybe he'll ask that, you know, the gospel gets further, you know, whatever it is. So he's wondering what he would ask for, and he ends up saying this. He just says, nothing but you, Lord. Nothing but you. Because he understood that Jesus is the reward. Jesus is the prize. Jesus is the reward. Jesus is enough. But see, when you just see Jesus on a page and you don't see Jesus in presence, it doesn't seem like he's enough, does it? What I'm inviting you back to is to put yourself in an encounter, a place of encounter. Let the conditions of your heart, let the walls come back down again. Reset innocence. Yeah, but this, and yeah, I was burned by this, and yeah, somebody faked that. And Okay, okay. 
awe and mystery of God. It is still there. The beauty of Jesus is still there. Apart from all that other junk, he's still there. But see, we've, we've lost our first love, many of us. Have you ever, and this happens to me the older I get, and I'm sure some of you guys will identify, but I, you know, I'm up in my kitchen, I'm walking down, I go down my stairs, I come all the way down into my family room, I hit into my garage, and I step in my garage, and I'm like, why did I come down here? You ever have one of those moments? Is it possible that some of us have been following Jesus so long that we forgot why we're doing it? Is it possible that we're serving Jesus but we forgot we're supposed to actually be loving Jesus? Are we so deep into serving Jesus that we forgot we are not to, that we're, we're supposed to be in relationship with him and that he actually is the whole thing? He's enough. It's like we've, we've got it backwards. And John is begging us to come back to our first love. How long will you go limping between two opinions? I'm at the altar of fear. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm going to protect my... No, 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 no. Awe and mystery. Both require sacrifices and obediences. Let's live at the altar of faith. And so we're going to come and receive communion. And when you come and receive communion, I want you to be reminded the body that was broken for you by the bread that we take and the the juice represents the blood that was spilled. I want you to be reminded that Jesus isn't the solution to your problem. Jesus is the solution. Jesus isn't just the answer to your question. Jesus is the answer. Jesus isn't just the hero to your problem. He's the hero of your story and of your life. And as we come to the table, there's tables in back, there's tables in front. During this song, you're going to come and just grab some of these elements and have a moment, an altar moment at your seat. You can turn your chair into an altar today and receive communion right there where you're at. But be reminded, just like Thomas Aquinas, and just, just have a moment and just say, nothing but you, Lord. Be reminded of those encounters that you've had with God, those works, that love. Lord, I just pray like a song or a smell takes us back, that by your spirit, you would take us back to moments in our life that are altar moments. And by taking us back, it actually moves us forward into the new that you have for us. We don't wanna recreate anything, God, but we do wanna recreate in our heart the environment in which those things were made possible. Or would you help us step back into the awe, the fascination, the wonder, the mystery that is Jesus. Lord, help us to come with pure hearts, open hearts, innocent hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's come and receive.